Hi, I'm Jo Sheeran, and welcome to the Dealmaker Series. This show highlights some of our most interesting deals by talking to the entrepreneurs and the dealmakers behind them. I'm really delighted to be back today, and I'm joined by Mark Packman, the CEO of Matrix Telematics, one of the global leaders in fleet technology. Matrix was recently invested in by Bridges Fund Management, and we're also joined today by Nisha Sharma, who led on the deal. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hi there. Hi. Hi. So thanks so much for joining us, both of you. And Mark, it would be great to hear from you uh, about Matrix Telematics. I know you were established about 20 years ago. So it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit more about the company and its journey, your journey. That would be great. Sure. So yeah, as you say, we started back in 2001. Uh, it's really a result of me selling a family automotive electrical business, mainly car audio. Uh, we were on that for probably 15 years, very successful. Um, but we were selling equipment, pretty much hardware, one only sale. And that was one of the things that really uh, I could see we were starting to sell tracking systems and tracking systems had recurring revenue. And, and I understood at an early time that that was, that was a SaaS revenue and that was something that we wanted. So uh, I set up a business together with my partner, Wayne Shilito, and we put our own money into it. And we started a vehicle tracking business. And really, it was a, a tale of two halves uh, from 2001 to sort of 2021, two, two decades. First decade was very much set around stolen vehicle tracking. Uh, it was a product we were already selling within the older business. But in the newer business, we uh, imported our own equipment and we created uh, our own platform as well. But it was a very straightforward uh, platform, not one of the modern uh, fleet management platforms. So for the second decade, as we got to sort of around 2008, 2009, recession came. Um, but as we came out of that recession, the equipment was coming down in price and also uh, the ability to, to provide a service, a SaaS service, uh, with our own developed software, we could see it was a possibility. And in 2009 stroke 10, uh, we had version one of our, of our main tracking platform. And today that's on version five with around 80,000 assets on it. Wow. Um, so we that that's grown organically over a period of time. It's starting to grow exponentially as again equipment's coming even lower and lower in price. And actually, lots of companies are taking fleet management more seriously. And now it's pretty much a de facto standard for SME and, and large corporate businesses. Uh, one of the other things that we do, we we are actually always trying to look at least a couple of years ahead, and we could see that telematics was at a stage where uh, OEM manufacturers were starting to fit boxes into vehicles. And um, th there was a, although we're agnostic in our platform in terms of we can take data from our own hardware, we can take data from uh, competitors' hardware, we can also take data from manufacturers' uh, vehicle boxes. So Ford, Peugeot, Citroen, some of the big makes that are out in that SME and, and large corporate commercial market, we can take the data from them as well. So doing something with that data was key to us uh, to protect our future. And we started the Drive Consulting Division. And Drive is a methodology and a consulting team who take the data from telematics and other sources like license checks and, and, and other uh, things that the drivers are doing during the day activities and actually make intelligent decisions around intervening with those drivers, e-learning modules. It's really outsourcing the complete 
uh, care and compliance of the vehicle uh, fleet in terms of drivers rather than focusing on the vehicles and that drive division starting to grow uh, and has won some you know big contracts with big utility customers over the last few months and the other the other area was uh, iot so internet of things is the tracking uh, and the communication the monitoring and alerting of a range of different assets so people from the outside would look at us and think we track vehicles and, and, and drivers and that's all we do well we track atm cash in the wall machines we we monitor gas pipes <clears throat> we monitor gas valves uh, we alert on uh, different events across a whole range of assets loan, loan workers out in the field so for us each of those items whether it's a person or, or an actual asset is, is something that sits on our platform and allows us to create more and more SaaS revenue so we see that drive and iot those two new divisions will take us into the next four or five years and will allow us to uh, to, to gain some really exponential growth so thanks for that mark I know you were just talking about drive and internet of things, et cetera, underpinning your strategy. And it'd be great to hear from you, Nisha, about how a matrix has increasingly developed this ESG model to underpin their strategy and how this, you know, has essentially added quite a bit of value to the deal itself. Thanks, Joe. Um, so in terms of an investment thesis, ESG has historically been a bit of an afterthought, if considered at all. Not so anymore. Investors are actively seeking out opportunities with a clearly defined and quantifiable ESG proposition. And this is coming from their funders. It is very firmly on the agenda. It's no longer enough just to give a qualitative view. Um, investors and their funders are looking for metrics to show a real impact on, how, on our environment and on our communities. Having a true ESG focus helps businesses like Matrix to differentiate themselves in the marketplace and stand out from the competition. As Mark mentioned, um, telematics is quite a busy part of the market and being having that ability to look forward and um, build out the drive and the IoT proposition has really allowed Mark and Matrix to stand out from the crowd and hence also attract the attention of investors who share the same values proposition. The reality of it is that Mark and Matrix will be working with Bridges for the next you know, foreseeable three, four years, however long that journey might well be. And it's imperative that um, we you know, look at onboarding a partner that has the right uh, values and is a supportive partner that shares that ultimate vision. Right, that's really interesting, Nisha. So I guess, you know, I think, um, Mark, from your side, drive is only, it's a new proposition, isn't it, within the past couple of years. So how did you decide that, now, you know, in the 2020 was the right time to go to market? Well, we could uh, already see uh, investors looking at the telematics market. It was a sort of a hot potato and uh, our, our fleet size was growing, you know, over 65, 70,000 and growing more quickly than it had done before. So we, uh, we looked around a variety of, of models, whether that be a go to the aim list, uh, IPO, uh, trade sale, private equity. But overall, what we wanted to do is to uh, keep the control of the business. And uh, there were a fair few private equity companies who were looking at the early stages before we even engaged with KPMG and talking about minority stakes. And that's really what probably appealed to us at the time. Uh, we were ready to take some cash off the table, myself and my business partner, 
uh, you know, we hold our hands up that we've been doing this for 20 years. We were at a, a point where, a point of inflection, we believed, where we had new solutions and we could see a bit of revenue growing, which it has done year on year for the last two or three years. Uh, and we'd also spent a lot of money on R&D uh, and, and, and time with our staff as well to create the drive and IoT solutions. So we had sort of two babies there ready to go and we wanted to engage, take cash off the table, but at a time when we knew the investor could come in and make two, three, four, probably five times their money back, uh, help us drive that business forward and grow up from um, a, a larger SME into uh, you know more of a, a larger corporate customer. And we just felt that was the right timing. Great. So you've decided to, you know, dive into the process. What kind of key challenges were you finding along the way? Uh, I think there was a concern for us that uh, we would sort of lose control of, of this baby that we created um, over the last, say, 20 years. And in more recent three and four years, the drive and IoT solutions. So that really gave us the focus on trying to create a deal that suited us. Uh, we weren't looking for a massive amount of cash off the table um, and we wanted to easily maintain the majority control of the business. It was also important for us to uh, find the right partner and Bridges and their ESG uh, heritage were very important to us because at the heart of uh, a lot of the drive solutions are the safety and, and health of the driver. We believe over several years we are saving a number of lives within the, the fleet business. Uh, and I think the other thing that concerned us was that would we lose the entrepreneurial spirit that was in the business? Uh, and as we went through the early stages of the process, we could see that the, the private equity companies wanted us as a team. They were investing in us as a team, as well as the products and solutions that we, we were uh, putting out into the market. And just in terms of the process, Mark, um, I know from the team that while you're in the process of selling, you're also trying to secure some major contracts as well. So. You know, what was that dynamic like? Was it difficult to, you know, balance the sales process and the day-to-day -day job, essentially? Yeah, I, th I think that's one of the, the key areas of focus for any CEO going into this type of process. Uh, I think Nisha will confirm we had a range of some big contracts uh, and one that we won that was more or less on the cusp of when we were doing the deal. So we had put, lo put lots of time and effort into that and I had uh, sales director, ops director, finance director, all being asked to prepare information and attend calls for 10, 15, 20 private equity companies at the same time as presenting to our end customers. So it was something we handled, but something that we probably didn't believe the intensity of the, of the due diligence and the presentations in the sort of middle stages. We didn't quite realize the intensity that uh, there might be there. Yeah, I imagine that was could be quite challenging at times. Sure. So, Nisha, I mean, this was a really interesting deal. What was the highlights to you? What was special about this deal? Well, I, th I think it's um, a combination of the tech and the ESG um, for me. And it's probably one of the first in, um, particularly in the North, that has such a very obvious um, marriage between the two. Uh, which, you know, it, it is fantastic. Um, you know, we often talk about being, um, technologies being disruptive. Um, a matrix was just that, or is just that, but it's not trying to change the world overnight. 
um, you know, it's, it's seeking to solve a real world problem, um, but gradually, um, you know, just to allude to some of the stats, you know, there are over 100,000 road accidents every year and every year some 2,000 people lose their lives. And even as Mark just said, you know, over the period of the investment across drive, um, you know, even if we save one, two lives, you know, that is a huge impact. And by leveraging the years of know-how, market-leading technology and bringing it all together, you know, Matrix is really making our roads safer with safer drivers. Um, so for me, you know, it was really, really this clear differentiated proposition, you know, a highly emotive proposition that made this deal special for me. And is that what attracted Bridges as well, ultimately? Yeah, I would absolutely say so. Um, you know, Bridges has um, a, a strong heritage of um, investing in ESG, um, but ones that are able to clearly demonstrate um, the impact that they will make on on the community. Um, and you know, that is um, you know clearly defined in their sort of investment criteria. Um, and I guess it's not just about um, the proposition as well. It's it's the team behind it, um, and you know, Mark and the team at Bridges, um, you know, it just worked. Uh, you know, the the partnership was there to be seen quite early early days. Um, so, you know, I think for all parties involved, I just think it was it, you know, it was a perfect partnership. And what attracted you, Mark, to Bridges ultimately? Uh, I think it was, as Nish said, it was it was the team. Uh, it was Simon and Daniel uh, and other team members in in the British team. Uh, but but fundamentally, it was Simon, his his knowledge and his approach to us. Uh, he was local to us. The bid was right. It, it's sort of three, four factors all came together that, in our minds, it felt right. And I think uh, when a CEO is going to market uh, with a company, that that's one of the key things. You you have to trust your gut. You're going to work with these people for at least three or four years. You can have good times, you can have bad times with them. So you need to do that with someone that, uh, you know, their their, their ethos uh, resonates with you. And you, the good guys and good girls, you, you can get on with them. It's as simple as that. Great. So just kind of thinking over, you know, the, the months that you were involved in this deal and the process and everything else, what were some of the key lessons that you learned that you think would be really useful to share with others? Should we start with you, Mark? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'd say that you need to be aware of the focus that uh, all your team will need. So it's not just yourself. So your, your your finance director, ops director, and sales director, the key sort of three people within our business that well, I had to sort lots of information. It was all in their heads and we were an entrepreneurial company, but we had to present uh, you know, you know, our path to be a proper corporate company. And it was sometimes very surprising to them, the extra hours and, and weekends that they had to put in to produce the information on time. Um, I think the other thing to look at would be uh, things like the, the cost that would be incurred. So I think it's only when you get to the end of the deal, when you realize we, we did a lot of vendor diligence, the costs of all those uh, pieces of diligence, but also the time that that sucks up. And uh, because of the timing of our uh, particular deal and because the budget was looming, there were extra pressures there as well. So uh, I think uh, if we did the next deal, we'd be a lot better prepared in terms of the information that we had. But I think we're not different to any other entrepreneurial company that the investors look at us and, and they expect us to be 
a company that's not fully grown up and is very entrepreneurial, is making good money, has got great solutions, but needs, let's just say, refining. Uh, and I think then finally, it was important for us. We, we did a bit of a beauty parade with a variety of, of CF teams. And uh, we went with KPMG because of just the, the people there, uh, their knowledge of the different two or three routes that we could go to market, their experience, their heritage, deals they'd done. Um, it, it was far more impressive than the other players out there. So I think, again, it's, it's important to get recommendations, speak to other CEOs who have been in that, uh, that particular place and get their feedback as well. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for that. That's uh, that's kind of you, Mark. And Nisha, from your side, key lessons that you'd like to share? I guess one of the things that um, worked really well um, in this transaction is um, Mark and the team's conviction over the vision and plan. Um, it was stretching but credible um, and um, you know Mark backed himself on that you know investors are sophisticated deal doers and can um, see weakness a mile off um, and you know let's remember investors are backing the team more than the plan so at the you know, time of sale Matrix had a number of very progressed conversations um, you know on the cusp of being signed but contracts weren't signed Mark was so adamant and confident um, that it was only a matter of time of getting the deals done and getting the contracts through. Um, and he did what he needed to do to corroborate that belief, um, you know, a very pragmatic, um, you know, approach uh, to helping the PE investors get the information they needed to in order to tick the relevant boxes that they have in order to complete um, on a deal. Um, I've said quite simply, you know, Mark, backed himself and did what he needed to do um, to support um, his belief and corroborate um, you know, where that plan was up to. Um, you know, and you know, indeed, you know, we, we closed the deal um, before a number of those opportunities actually landed. Um, and you know, that really shows a testament towards you know, that conviction over your own plan um, that Mark originally had. So I think it's really important to be able to stand up and um, present something that you think, you know, that you think you will achieve and ultimately that you believe in. Because I think some, sometimes you, you get into a position where um, numbers are just that, they are numbers on a page and, uh, you know, very difficult to bring them to life. But that certainly wasn't the case over here. And I'd echo, um, you know, Mark's point around, um, you know, I guess the stretching nature of a due diligence process, and you know, ensuring that the right you have the right team around you that has the capacity to, um, you know, support, um, you know, the CEO, the CFO, the the queue, and 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 CTO, you know, all of that needs to come together in order to, you know, facilitate that due diligence process whilst trying to keep you know your day job going at the same time so it is a very intense time um and you know the only way you really get um get through it is by having the you know ultimately the right advisors and the right team um you know all working together um to get to the right result thanks nisha so um you know Mark, you are obviously, you know, very central to this deal. So it'd be great to hear a little bit more about you, um, just in summary. So I'm just going to ask you a few quick little questions, um, just as we close out. So, 
you've had a, obviously an interesting career. Who's been most influential? I think in the early days of creating our own business in 2001, my dad actually was. And um, he started the family audio business uh, when I was about 18. And uh, when I was about 20, I took that over and uh, at quite an early age there. And we, we became one of the biggest suppliers in the UK, supplied to Lex and, and GE Capital. And that was when vehicles had no automotive accessories like uh, you know sunroofs and alarms and, and electric windows. So the things he taught me around business uh, stood me in good stead. And I think now in the later years, watching uh, disruptive players in the software space, someone who looks at uh, a market, looks how they can disrupt it, creates the software to do that, and then goes out and, uh, and deploys that en masse. Yeah, well, I guess people will be watching you as well going forward. Um, <laughs> definitely. So I know you've been on a few holidays, um, Mark, so it'd be great to hear if you've read or listened to anything that has inspired you lately. Sure. Um, so yeah, a few weeks ago, I went to Malta for, for about 10 days. And one of the uh, books that I read there was the biography of, of Jeff Bezos and how Amazon started. I'd never really read anything about that and just heard and, and read things in the news and podcasts. But it was an interesting uh, biography and how they started and uh, how the whole thing evolved. Uh, really, really amazing. And uh, just last weekend, I went away for the weekend and uh, listened to a Joe Rogan podcast. I, I listened to quite a few of his. And uh, the one with uh, Elon Musk, which was really interesting. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, that was a quite a famous one for, for a variety of reasons. But uh, it was just the simple nature of... Uh, things he told us like you know in los angeles all the roads are all taken up now so you've either got to go above and fly above or you've got to dig tunnels and, and go underneath and and actually we're doing both he said and eventually that's that's the way things are going to work uh, and he was the first to say we should have electric cars so a real groundbreaker you know faults within his character uh, in some areas but really impressive uh, straight talking session that was that, that was one of the best podcasts i'd ever heard I'll have to look that one up then, it sounds. I know there's a lot of Elon Musk um, lovers out there, so I'll definitely have to <laughs> have to look that one up. Um, yeah. So just to end, it'd be great to hear from you both about what advice have you got for future sellers? I think for myself, uh, timing's critical. That's one of the things that uh, is important to be on an upward trajectory. So it's important to get the right deal initially to get some cash off the table, if that's possible. Um, but actually, we, we were at a point where we had new solutions, we had new deals about to happen, and we we're about to go on that roller coaster of, of doubling and trebling our, our revenue, hopefully. So that was, I think that was a good point at which to engage with an investor because you're selling them a good story. You're not a static, stagnant business. So I think if you can time that correctly, um, timing is critical. Anisha, from your side, what, what would you like to add? So I guess advice for future sellers, um, I'd say, um, you know, approach it with flexibility. Uh, so, you know, allow your advisor, um, assuming you use one, which you should, uh, but allow your advisor to present you with the optionality. Um, so that might be private equity versus trade. Um, you know, they're two fundamentally different outcomes, um, you know, each having their own pros and cons and, to state the obvious, you only know what you know. So it's certainly worth 
allowing um, your advisor to explore all your options, even if you set out thinking I'm adamant that it's just private equity that I want to do. Um, you know, because things change, including shareholder preferences. Um, so, you know, explore your options. Um, and whilst advisors are drumming up the interest, uh, don't forget to keep the business running. Um, so running a process is a full time job, involves high levels of engagement from management. And um, so make sure that you've got the right team around you to share in those in the demands of a deal, because there are um, you know ups and downs throughout. And finally, speak to the people who have been there before and got the T-shirt. So people like Mark um, and others, um, you know, there is nothing like um, speaking um, to somebody who's gone through the journey, understands all the trials and tribulations, but also all of the rewards that come out of it. Great. Thanks, Nisha. Well, that's all we've got time for today. And I just want to thank you both so much for coming along and, and sharing your stories with us. It sounds, Mark, like there's some real exciting plans for Matrix um, for the future. I just wanted to say um, thanks for everyone's time today. And please do like, share, comment on this podcast. And thanks for all your support to date. We'll see you soon. Bye.